So we, your people and sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. Let's fulfill that here tonight by singing together before Jehovah's awesome throne. Amen. Our confession of sin is from Galatians 5:13 through 15. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Amen. You may be seated. Randy, you can still turn this down. I, th I think everyone can hear me just fine. Let's go to a time of confession. Lord, we thank you for this passage that you've given us today through your servant, the Apostle Paul and Galatians. We thank you for the reminder of the law being fulfilled even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we thank you for the imagery and the warning that you give us that if we continue to, to bite and devour one another, that we would be consumed. Lord, there are many ways in which we can bite and devour one another. One of the primary ways is backbiting or the sharp bite of our words. We therefore come before you this evening to confess to you that we have misused our words, 
that we have used our speech to the wrong ends. Even the manner of our speech has sometimes been wrong. We have exaggerated, we have minimized, and Lord, you know, to do so in those situations was deceptive. Pray, Lord, that you would hear your people now as they come before you in the privacy of their own hearts, confessing to you their sinful speech. Lord, no ordinary man can tame the tongue, but you are extraordinary. And you send us your spirit that our speech may be good, that it may lead to your glory and the good of our neighbor. We pray, Lord, that this time of confession would lead us into such good things. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Your assurance of pardon is from Galatians also. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Jesus paid it all.
Amen. Let's open our scriptures together to Proverbs chapter 12. Yes. And the reading uh, tonight will be verses 4 through 7. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked are, lie and wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Let's pray. O Lord Christ, we pray that you would give us wisdom this evening. Help us with our speech. We ask these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Natalie, you were right. We did skip. We were in chapter 10, just making our way into 11. And uh, the Proverbs, for some time, are going to be focused on our speech. So what I would like to do is to hit certain sections that I think will be profitable for us about speech in this first collection of Proverbs, and so I've moved us into chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. I'd like to stand some chance of finishing this book before my retirement and doing another book in the evening service. So uh, we're still focused on speech, but we're, and that'll be the case for some time actually, but we're going to look at specific parts of speech. So to that end, we have 12, 4 through 7. I want to make a few observations and then uh, a few remarks uh, for our use. First thing I'll point out is that, um, and this is one of the reasons why I chose this section, I thought that you all would find this profitable, because it's not just speech in general, it's not speech just for ourselves and how it affects us, or speech and how it affects generally others. The focus here is how speech affects households. Now, that house could be a family, it could be a church, it could be a nation, it could be, you know, any of those kinds of institutions. So in verse 1, you can see that the man and the woman are meant to live together in harmony. We're starting off here with the picture of a household. And Adam was called to rule the earth, and together with the crown of his wife, they would accomplish God's will. But you can see what takes place. When the wife, for example, is wicked, <clears throat> if, you could, if you thought in the home, you could think of a wicked wife in the home. If you thought of a nation, you could think of a wicked woman with a nation, for example, like Jezebel, and she carries forward, even in the book of Revelation, and is used as a symbolic type for other women who have corrupted entire churches. You can look at the, that uh, development in Revelation 4, for example. I believe it's 4. When Christ walks among the churches... You can see that the same kind of focus is here. In the garden, Adam said to his wife, you are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. But here, with this particular disordered woman in Proverbs, 
you'll notice that, yes, they are still bone of bone, but she has become the rot in his bones. So it's taking place within a house. And you can see we're alternating back and forth between the virtuous or the upright and the wicked. Second thing I'll point out to you is that we move from the overarching situation of the home to the way in which righteousness or wickedness begins. Take a look at verse 5. We kind of had a a scene. If If you were watching a movie, you'd see a snapshot of a house. And then we would go into the house and we'd meet the individual people. And here you can see the proverb is now focused on the thoughts or the plans of those people that are in that home, whether upright or wicked. The first phrase, the thoughts of the right are right, is a catchy way to put it, but is actually not a repetition of a Hebrew word. It's not right and right. That's a little, that's a little not deceptive, but um, I, would, I would put it as the right are just. I think that's a better way to put it. It consists of two different Hebrew words, and you could put it another way, say, the thoughts of the righteous are just. How about that? That's, I think, a good way to put it, and um, uh, the foremost scholar on Proverbs uh, suggested that also. Righteousness, therefore, that first word, righteousness is the quality of maintaining the good order of God for his creation. That's an everyday, consistent uh, way in which we go about our life. It maintains the goodness of the community. Justice is a little bit different. It is the ability to take a chaotic situation and to put it back in, the, in, back in order. And that's what the plans of the righteous are doing. The counsel of the wicked is the opposite of that. They are seeking for disorder. Usually it's an order according to their own minds. But that's what they're after. And therefore the wicked look to destroy the community and they do so by way of deception. And that's just common sense, right? I mean, if you see somebody who's trying to destroy something, you stop them, correct? Well, that's why they hide it so you can't until it's too late. And that's the, that's the second verse I'll point out to you. And now here's a third. What we end up seeing in verse 6, you can see we're, we're actually escalating in the situation. We have moved from a snapshot of the scene, which is the home. We're now dealing with thoughts and plans and counsels, which can just, with, which can just take place in the mind. And now in verse 6, we're going to see the manifestation or the expression of those plans And perhaps to your surprise, it is happening by way of speech, words. Verse 6, the words of the wicked are lie and wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. The words of the wicked reveal and seek to accomplish death. That is true in the content of their words, which could take the form of False accusations could take the form of bribes. I actually think it would be quite valuable to come up with a list of all of the ways that the wicked use their words and to be aware of that. I think probably a Puritan has done that. Or not just the content of their words, but the style of their words. There can be sinister signals or passwords or burning rhetoric. And they all aim to murder the innocent. 
That is not the case with the righteous. Even in the face of such speech, the righteous speak their words just at the right time. You notice the word there in that verse, it's deliver. To deliver those who are getting ready to become prey for the wicked. The upright do this directly by their timely speech in court, and they do this indirectly by their counsel and their teaching throughout their life. Another observation I'll make, and this will be the last observation, is verse 7. Notice how verse 7 acts as a a bookend from verse 4, picking up the theme of the house again. That's why this is is included as a little subunit of meaning, uh, is because of that. Uh, That's one of the reasons. We return back to the house, and here you see that the house of the righteous will stand. Despite the scheming plans of the wicked, and despite their speech and all of the content and style of their words, all of their burning rhetoric, at the end, the wicked are overthrown, and the righteous and their house will stand. Now, this is interesting. The word overthrown is actually a word that stands for a sudden and unexpected catastrophe. You can almost picture the wicked and the righteous, and, the, and you can see the, the, the righteous beginning to worry a bit of, how is this going to end? How is this going to turn out? And then all of a sudden, boom, the wicked is overthrown. This is meant to communicate. You'll notice there's actually a divine passive here. And this is just another way of telling that this is meant to communicate that God himself will interrupt the situation, making sure the wicked do not prevail. He steps in. He makes sure that his creation stays in order. And so I think we could summarize this quite simply. There's a lot of different ways to summarize this, actually. I played with a few, but I think this is a nice, simple one. Words can strengthen a house. You could think of speech which is more um, longer speaking, but words, are, words can strengthen a house or words can rot out the bones. So go ahead and apply that to different situations. Words could strengthen a family or words could rot out a family. Words could strengthen a church or words could rot out a church. Words could strengthen a nation, or the words of the people of that nation could make it rot. Bones are an infrastructure that holds up the whole institution. And if they rot out and go, the whole thing will collapse. This proverb seems to start providing the wisdom that any Christian would need to keep their homes healthy. And I still am using that word home for several different institutions and levels. What a mercy it is for Christ by way of Solomon to give us this kind of wisdom. Homes may include the family household or the church body or a school or the civic realm. All of them are kind of like a house and constitute a kind of household in a sense. The various houses of which you are a part. I think the underlying question here is, would you like them to have some sort of permanence and to remain? If so, listen up. For any of them to stand with permanence, some realities must be acknowledged. These are things that we have to take for granted. These are, this is the way that the world actually is. 
despite the way that the world, the flesh, and the devil lead you. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to point out actually a few realities that Solomon's uh, uh, putting forth here for our houses to be healthy and to have permanence. I actually have just six remarks that I'd like to make from what we've seen here in the observations. Here's the first one, and if you would like a copy of this, I'll be happy to just leave it there, and you can write these things down if you would like. Here's number one. This proverb subunit assumes that we as Christians and followers of Christ will have opposition. You can see that this is the case even structurally with the proverb. It alternates back and forth. It's as if anywhere the righteous or upright person goes, there too is the wicked. Anytime the righteous speak, there too the wicked speak. Anytime the righteous plan, there too the unrighteous plan. It's like a shadow. The righteous work, but please know that as you face the reality of life, it's very important for us to know exactly the way things are, or you're going to get bit and other people will be hurt. The righteous work, but right alongside of the righteous, the wicked are working too. And they do not have a problem putting more hours in than you. I think that sets the stage and helps us to be sober. Number two, our plans and counsels and thoughts matter. We must be careful to make sure we are maintaining righteousness and restoring order through justice. And I will put it this way, and we could talk about this some more at another time, but this requires purity of heart. This is something that has come through with the Proverbs. You must be so filled with the truth and with the light of the truth that you know how things are meant to be You can feel it in your bones. I think there's some common sense here. If you don't know how things are meant to be, how can you tell if something is out of order? If you don't feel it in your bones, how quickly will it take for the deceptive to convince you, no, that's not really how it's meant to be? Not long. And they will drip on you like water on a rock, and eventually you will give way. We must be convinced by the Spirit of exactly the way things are and what they are meant to be. And then we can see purely, and we will not lead each other into a ditch. That's number two. Number three, the wicked have plans also. They know their plans will not be accepted, and so they hide and they deceive. You, therefore, must be attuned to see deception to know when it is happening. This will mean that you have to have more virtues than just being kind. If your main goal is to just be kind to people, those who are wicked will pull the wool over your eyes and you will have no idea where you're going or where to lead anybody. Number four, The wicked will use words to kill. What kind of words do this? You should know that. 
you should know which words kill. You should see it. I bet you if somebody pulled out a gun or a bow and arrow, you'd recognize it as a weapon. And we need to be able to recognize which words kill. You need to listen very closely, therefore, which requires you to shut your mouth. Ask the Lord for discernment. Brad gave us a great insight from the Proverbs last time uh, he preached. We can think of our words as shepherds, whether you're wicked or you're righteous. And this is the question you want to ask. Where are they trying to get their words to lead people? To where are they trying to lead people with their words? Is it a good place? What's the big picture? What's the end game? What's the destiny? And number five, we must be ready to counter the words of the wicked so as to deliver them and that, so they don't become prey. This will require at the very least that we would speak up which will require the virtue of courage. This will also mean that we speak well. This will also mean that we speak in the right manner and that we speak at the right time. You can see how this is just an accumulation of wisdom, all for this single moment of keeping houses in order. Number six, do not forget, I think this is the most important uh, Maybe that's just the way I'm feeling today. But do not forget that even if it looks like you are losing, God will make the home of his children stand. This whole earth is the house of Christ. There's nothing that can stop him. And we can go down into smaller versions of the cosmos, which includes your household I want you to keep an image in mind so that we can always keep hope before us. Imagine a person pushing a wheelbarrow. The tire is loose and wobbly, and it's over full, 10 times more than it's supposed to be carrying. Let me ask you a question. What do you think is going to happen when they f hit the first unexpected stone or take a left or a right too sharply? It will overturn. I hope that you can keep that image in your mind as you're conducting yourselves as followers of Jesus Christ because that is the destiny of the wicked. That is the picture of the wicked. They pile up lies and deceptions and they stack their victims, but their whole project is wobbly and it shakes. And at just the right time, Jesus Christ is going to overturn them. It'll be out of nowhere, but the whole project will just go bloop, and that's it. And so let us remember that words can strengthen a house or words can rot out the bones. May the Lord give us the wisdom to keep our homes against the plans of the wicked. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, I pray that you would also use these words for us to have a, a severe aversion to joining the wicked. If their project is just going to tip over, oh Lord, give us a desire to be a part of 
your kingdom and its permanence. I pray, Lord, for those who may be hardened against you, that they would kiss the sun, that you would enfold them under your wing. Ask, Lord, that you would give us this kind of wisdom that we hear here tonight, that you would give us experiences that we need to get better and better at not just maintaining your kingdom, but restoring it when it becomes chaotic and out of order. And I pray that you would show us how to do this, especially in our speech and to the speech that we listen to. I ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, stand together and we're going to sing How Firm a Foundation. Amen. And now receive the Lord's benediction, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. For-